Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Analytics Anecdotes Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Olson. And I'm your co-host, Tony Olson. This podcast is all about data science, analytics, and AI, where we share anecdotes from experts in this field. Analytics takes collaboration, and we hope you enjoy these collaborative interviews. And don't forget to subscribe and like us at Excellion.io. So, Aaron, we took a little break there, but we're we're back at it. Are you excited to be back? I am excited to be back. Yeah, we took a little summer hiatus. Uh, we have a couple of great recordings coming up to share, and um, I'm pretty excited for the next couple of months that we're going to release. Yeah, we have we have a, a good group coming up here, um, and then we have been working on something special. Uh, a special mini series uh, in analytics anecdotes uh, all around manufacturing and how data science is playing a role in digitally transforming manufacturing. Um, So more to come on that here in the future. Um, But besides that, enjoy the show. In this episode of the podcast, we're speaking with Anurag Valiti. Anurag is the Senior Director of Data and Analytics at GE Healthcare. Anurag describes himself as a technology transformation leader, a bold visionary, and a proud geek with an uncanny ability to shape and guide organizations. Tony and I really enjoyed our conversation with him, and we hope you enjoy the episode as well. Anurag, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Appreciate it. Um, For most of our listeners who might not know who you are, uh, can you share with us your two-minute story and a little bit about you? Yeah, thanks. Uh, It's a pleasure. uh having a chat with you Aaron and Tony, you as well. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, as an introduction, more so from a data analytics perspective, uh, you know, as I have, I'm basically from India, you know, been through the, the normal churn from as an engineer and, and then, you know, joined a startup in San Jose and then grew up my ranks and, you know, my latest gig, um, I can get a lot more detail in there, but um, have two siblings. Um, my father is a, you know, it's been a professor um, and retired. And then my mom say, you know, housewife and, and they took real good care in terms of, you know, putting the right values of learning, contributing, doing the right things kind of a thing. Gotcha. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you said you started in, you know, in the startup world a little bit, and now you are at, um, you know, your current employer is GE Healthcare. So how did that transition happen over time? Yeah, um, yeah there are three things that have always been something that guided me. I've uh, been a big proponent of, you know, using technology for delivering business outcomes. So being laser focused on on delivering those outcomes that have real tangible value, not just for the business, but also the the people that these businesses, you know, serve. And, uh, you know, just from that journey standpoint, I always, you know, startup is a great environment where you can innovate, incubate, um, and initiate great ideas into, you know, for big companies like GE, to deliver some great value. And you know, I'm particularly proud of what GE does and especially healthcare um, and the purpose statement, especially you know, related to um, where we are making impact to people's lives in moments that matter. And that's pretty resonating for me. So just from a journey standpoint, um, you know, 
working for a startup gave me a sense of, you know, what are different industries, um, what each industry is doing, um, had an opportunity to deploy some of the products that I was, you know, I was writing um, and deploy them at GE and got absorbed into GE and then, you know, knowing what healthcare does, um, I was I was always passionate in terms of how can I take that startup innovation incubation, you know, how, leveraging technology for solving those business problems and, um, you know, started to shape my journey at GE Healthcare. Mm-hmm. Grew up from, you know, from architecture through engineering, managing programs to now leading what the ever cliche word called digital transformation. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's awesome. And um, so is that, you know, your innovation and digital transformation efforts over, over the years, and now you're leading some of the, the analytics efforts. Um, what, you know, how did that transition exactly happen? Um, because, you know, it just seems a little bit of a different shift in flavor in, in digital transformation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like like every other company, we've from the um, late '90s through the 20s, and and now we went through this whole digitization workflow automation. So digitization automation uh, kind of a journey, um, and G ventured into a big initiative, um, uh, you know, calling it as G Digital. Um, trying to figure out how we can move from a traditional business operating model to a digital operating model, because there was so much that we were doing all the way from aircraft engines to power turbines to, you know, massive G healthcare equipment like MRs and x-rays and CTs to, you know, all the agents that go into your body for um, better diagnosis into our life sciences business. So as G started to transform. How do we think about all this data that we have? Um, we were very much a two-dimensional thinking company, you know, a small data thinking till that big initiative that started. And I was probably at the right time, right opportunity and the right mindset coming together. Um, this was early, like 2014, 2015-ish, where we then started to think about what can we do to leverage all of this data to provide better products and services, more contextualized, more personalized, um, and at the same time, more not from what we can sell to our customers, but what our customers actually need to sell, you know, serve their patients better. So that was a massive transformation. Um, You know, so I have had an opportunity to think about that small data thinking to a big data thinking where we not only looked at it from the, my domain was more on the enterprise side of the equation, but then we changed that entire thinking from enterprise to what our machines are telling machines to cloud, cloud to customers, customers to, you know, people kind of orchestration and how can we, you know, like propagate that intelligence across the entire enterprise through datafication, you know, if you, if you know, if you yeah. know what I'm right. So that's that's at least what we were thinking, and um, we've we've had some great journeys since then. Yeah, I always think that that um, 
it, you know, I think you hit it on the head there with that digital transformation. In a way, it's almost like um, it's almost like a data transformation. Thinking, you know, you're you're. I, I like the um, the path that you lined up there. Um, uh, this is the first time I've heard that. Machine, what, what you, can you? I don't know if you could even say it again. Uh, machines, uh, your your workflow from machines to people uh, yeah. centric thinking. That was really great. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. This is like people always talk about, you know, cloud to cloud uh, that kind yeah. of. Thing. But then there is always, you know, cloud to cloud, cloud to machine, machine to cloud, and you know, machine. Mm -hmm kind of a thing because you can start to think about some of these use cases again you know this is a this is a wide area and people have been talking about this thing in multiple ways but you know simple things from a clinical application you could be thinking about you know somebody's uh, you know electronic medical records mining that uh, to their lifestyle to their you know body composition to the previous ailments to what they're going after and then personalize, you know, what kind of dosage is needed or what kind of care is needed instead of just saying, okay, this is the kind of dose that everybody gets, right? So there's so much that you can do in terms of personalizing care that was not even possible when, uh, when that data was not available and that kind of compute capabilities were not available in the cloud. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know what? So, so you, you your roles went from startups to uh, more traditional um, corporate environments, and you know I, I guess I don't I didn't quite grasp your entire background there. But how did you know what started your interest in in the analytics and data science space in, in context of that digital transformation? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so a. You know, technologist by heart, um, you know, and I, I did the MBA from UW-Madison. Um, so there were three things that always guided me as a North Star. One is how can we leverage technology to deliver great outcomes um, at the same time? You know, how can we build and shape great organizations and teams? So I've been big outcome technology, people focused kind of a person um, and that has always led me to you know, start to think about how do we continuously disrupt um, you know, the status quo and deliver outcomes. And then, you know, so as you can imagine, when I first started my career uh, in 2099, 2000, I was more, at that time it was more around how can we digitize your traditional businesses and capture people that who are doing on paper, how can you bring it into digital footprint? How do you optimize your Salesforce? How do you optimize your back office? How do you optimize ERP? You know, those kind of things. So I was in that, in that time frame, building automation of Salesforce automation tools. And I, it was like a, the first, first introduction to AI per se, but it was primarily a rule-based engine. Mm -hmm. um, so we built a rule-based engine and I was part of a, core engineering team that was building that engine. It was a Java servlet kind of a technology where, you know, you can automate how BMWs, you know, configure their cars um, to HP and Juniper, you know, building computers to networking through Cisco's 
you know, big data centers to GEs, you know, how do you sell and configure and price and quote uh, to your customers, these big machines. Uh, so that, that's where my journey started. And that was the rule-based engine was part of the core engineering team. Then um, we were deploying that product to GE Healthcare. Um, I was doing my MBA at Madison. Then, you know, then it, I got absorbed into GE. Um, then from that standpoint, as, as organizations got really good at digitization, then they got into automation. And I was part of, you know, big initiatives that automated like, you know, 20 different platforms, bringing all them together, all of them together to provide, you know, seamless user experience to our field as they provided better products and services. So using SQL, you know, common integration frameworks like so uh, microservices, those kind of things. And then um, in, in the 2013, 2014, 2015, as I started to understand what it takes for organizations to digitize and automate, there is so much data that is getting captured, um, but with still very much a small data kind of a thinking. So then as I was asked to put together, you know, hey, what is the best way that we can mine our customers and how our products are being used? Um, had a great opportunity to transform that thinking to a multi-dimensional thinking using big data. So that's just just been the journey. It makes sense yeah, to you. That's fantastic. I mean, what it, I think that that your journey epitomizes the technologist path, but <laughs> those, but right, but those technologists that are focused on outcomes. Cause I, I think that that's like the common theme in, you know, you said it was one of your driving factors. That's like a common theme there is that you're trying to drive business outcomes, yeah. um, which leads you to analytics. So that, that's fantastic. Um, you know, somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I, I, I really want this project or I want to drive this outcome for the business. Like how, can you walk me through like your steps or, you know, how you might frame that problem to, in order to help them transform like an old business process into maybe some new insights or that can, that can drive those new outcomes. Do you, do you have something like uh, from a standard perspective, uh, from a standard process perspective? Yeah. Uh, as you can imagine, um, he's big into lean and, you know, agile. So very much inspired by, so we were inspired by, you know, Eric Reese's, you know, lean startup kind of a, mentality. So there is a, a process that was contextualized from that kind of a lean agile thinking where it was primarily around, um, you know, especially it is very relevant for data and analytics and AI space is because, you know, there is there are what AI and data and analytics is, is solving for is, is the unknown, right? So you have known knowns, known unknowns, unknown knowns, you know, those kind of a thing and unknown unknowns. So in that space, if you were to think about the three three other factors that is outside of known knowns is where I think AI can provide tremendous amount of value, right? So as we look at every use case, we're not trying to understand, okay, hey, I'd, you know, like leave, leave the decision-making out to human beings, right? So the idea for us as we were thinking about AI is always been around how can we use data to help make make the that decision making process more intelligent, more data driven? Um, and I know it is easier said than done. 
So every time we go through this, we have actually a, a process that we defined. There are a number of frameworks in the industry, like you know, CRISP data mining process, which we contextualize to create our own software delivery you know, process. Mm-hmm. Um, but CRISP has been something that I, um, I have you know, used in the past that I believe really makes sense from all the way from business understanding to understanding of data to what can you use your lean principles to understand what experiments you need to do, the concept of failing fast, right? So you put your leap of faith assumptions together, then, then you validate those assumptions using rapid prototyping, which is the inner circle of that CRISP model. And as you get more and more confident in the outcomes, use A-B testing to pilot it with your end users, outcome owners, make sure that the direction you're going in is good, deploy it to pilot users, collect more data, bring it back in and, and, and go through that cycle. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought up crisp DM. You know, I, I, I feel like, you know, it's been around for 30, 40 years and it's still kind of like the gold standard for a healthy iterative approach to data science and analytics, um, you know, at a, at a very macro level. So I, I appreciate your insight there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I always think about when I think about like delivering business value quickly, especially the way you're talking about it in lean principles and, you know, you said how, you know, how can we use data to make decisions, the decision-making process more automated. And I'm, I'm interested in, in hearing how you think about this. So one of the things that, that sometimes I hear is, you know, is your analytics project, your analytics project is a success if you have better information or more information to make, or if you can make a better decision uh, after the project is done rather than when you started as like a, the minimum lever, lever, uh, amount yeah. of success in, a, in an analytics project. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are, if you have any perspective on that. Yeah, and you know, as the technologists think about this, right? So we have this whole software engineering background, which is, you know, if there's then that, uh, and we have written, you know, massive applications with that kind of a thought process, which is very much um, how digitization and out- automation platforms have been built from CRMs to ERPs to supply chain tools to, you know, engineering to, you know, tools. The, the paradigm shift in, um, in this whole AI space has been where, you know, it is not about automating and digitizing to a point where some human being can take action, but then how do you provide all the inputs that that actions that people are taking are actually, you know, more, more relevant, more driven by data than by somebody's gut feel. So, you know, from a charter standpoint, um, when, when we started to draw our charters, you know, my whole thing was that any problem that you're looking at it from, uh, you know, Y is equals to F of X kind of a mode, right? Every business before this whole transformation change came through in this industry were were really good at measuring those X's, right? So how good is our business, you know, market penetration? How good is our revenue? You know, how how good or bad rather? Uh, What is our, you know, contract capture rate? What is our forecasting conversion? You know, all of those things were always there. 
Um, but nobody understood what does it take for us to take that variable to the next level? What does it take for us to improve our cost structure? What does it take for us to optimize our supply chain? So in that sense, to your question, you know, what, what data and analytics gave us is that power to tie not those excess and measurement of those excess, but then create the transfer function that can very clearly, you know, correlate to an outcome. And we've done a lot of things, you know, where we are now qualifying our sales leads with what does it mean for the customers to buy this? And our data science models from that programmatic view to, you know, when you look at it from an AI standpoint, when you map it with last year's data, you know, those training data sets and being able to articulate the accuracy of your models and the confidence in what you're recommending, that gave, that just completely you know, transformed how IT organizations have been you know, viewed. And I can guarantee you today, IT organizations across the board are more business partners than, hey guys, you know what, you're managing network and, and you know, um, compute and storage and running our ERP systems. So anyway, so in that sense, AI has, has made IT organizations, and as we can see the number of startups in the space who are really shaking up the entire industry from, from everything that we use on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, a lot of our world is driven digitally now, and that's a scalability that traditional business operating models are being supplemented with that is giving companies, you know, tremendous amount of new avenues for revenue and margin and cost and, you know, improvements. Right. Yeah. You know, I totally agree with you um, as far as data science empowering IT groups to do more um, and provide more value to the business. Um, you know, the, we're, I think IT is being asked to do more and they're stepping up and they're, it's not just about what reports can you give me in order for me to do my own analysis in Excel or Power BI or what have you. It's now, you know, help me. I want you to help me understand my business and show me how to make better business decisions. It's, it's that hindsight versus foresight um, kind of type mentality. So I think that's, uh, you kind of, you articulated that really well. Totally agree. And uh, Anurag, uh, do you have a favorite anecdote from your career in analytics or data science? Maybe one that was an aha moment for you or someone else that you were working closely with? Yeah, um, yeah, actually, one thing that I can um, talk about is um, there was, a, we were, uh, there was an outcome that our, you know, one of our big marketing leaders was looking for, um, trying to understand, you know, what is the impact of um, our, what are the big reasons why our win-loss is, you know, is good or bad. So we were, so what she was seeing was that we were not um, winning as much as she wanted to. And her biggest thing was that our channel partners were not, were not really, you know, doing what it takes for us to sell and, um, and provide better products and services to our customers. That was her initial take. Okay. So she had all the data. Um, she was ready to, bring in 400 different partners across the, you know, across the globe together, run a massive training program um, and, and make sure that 
this training program was costing us like millions of dollars just to make it happen. And uh, what she wanted to make sure was like, you know, I mean, it's great leadership style, right? So which is wanted to make sure that her gut feel is right. So she engaged us um, as, <laughs> as I was running a central data science team a few years back. And she was like, you know, I just want to make sure that my assumption is right. And I, before we go full blown, spending this kind of money, training our partners, bringing everyone together and, you know, to some extent casting aspersions as well, right? Um, I just want to make sure that this assumption is accurate. And when our data scientists looked at the data, uh, you know, those decisions were made, but again, those decisions were made on imperfect information, right? So because of that two-dimensional small data thinking. So um, one of our data scientists from Budapest, when he ran this analysis and modeling, he actually said that it was a problem with how our GE sales guys were approaching this and how they were positioning, how our marketing collateral and you know those kind of things were were not completely giving the entire picture. So so she dropped that entire idea and repurposed all of that spend, you know, to to train our internal folks more than our partners. To be right. a, to to be a fly on the wall in that presentation, that oh, would yeah. have been really interesting. <laughs> Man. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was, it was crazy. I mean, you know, we were so scared to go and pitch this thing back. <laughs> yeah, it's like, anyway, it was, it was fun just to see. And that is where I think the power of this, um, and it turned out to be right. Um, the, the problem was not just, you know, one versus the other, where, you know, the problem is never about, you know, it's, it's never Boolean, right? So you're always trying to figure out where do I invest my current time on? What is the, you know, what is the action that I need to take that will have the maximum bang for the buck? You know, yes, there were problems with the partners, but if there was to be a focus and a prioritization, it was supposed to be made internally. So that's what data science um, provided that being able to look at data, look at data more holistically um, and and then, you know, make it part of your decision making. I actually commend that leader who, when she had the, you know, audacity to not only make a decision, but also challenge it uh, herself. So, so that leads me to, to another question along that line of thinking is that what makes finishing uh, data science or data analytics projects so challenging. You know, you, the, you do the analysis, you know, is it over yet? <laughs> what does what it tell you that you gave those, you gave that, uh, the, all the information to your marketing person? You know, what makes it so challenging in this, in that, I'm sure in that situation, but in others also? Yeah, um, I, I, you know, I say that this whole digital transformation is a culture, right? So data analytics is actually more a culture than technology. Mm. Um, and, and analytics is, if it is a culture, then the culture is grounded on your, on speed, trust, and your ability to, to again, you know, using that lean term, your ability to experiment, right, without without losing customer satisfaction, without losing revenue, without, you know, killing yourself kind of a thing, right? So um, in that sense, yeah, this is, um, this 
a number of teams, not just technologists, need to come together in an organization to make it successful. Um, so in that sense, how do you use, and I'm obviously harping on a few things that we all know is effective, but it is indeed, you know, something that has to be, there has to be like, you know, tremendous amount of focus, energy, investments into these areas where, you know, you are challenging your assumptions, that you're building trust with your business partners, that you're using lean and agile to incrementally add value than trying to go, you know, spend tremendous amount of energy just collecting data, building data lakes that, yeah, that cannot one show value or that that is, you know, where the value is too far out. Um, and then the fifth one is mutual respect for what, what different teams bring to the table, because this is not just some data scientist writing some super fancy algorithm, but it is also somebody who can trust that, who can provide those inputs as to what is really important for the customers, uh, be ready to experiment, do, you know, use A-B testing, those kind of things, and then, and then deploy, capture more data, bring it back in, put governance processes that not only look at data, but also look at um, laser focused on, are these things really providing value? And then where you pivot, where you persevere, you know, those kind of things. Yeah, um, hearing a technologist say that a, a data lake isn't always, isn't necessary uh, or isn't, uh, you know, a, a prerequisite for ML. That that that's a big admit uh, <laughs> admit there. I, you don't hear too many technologists say that. Yeah, I, yeah. It's like a, <laughs> it's a it's an important thing, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you obviously all of these technologies have to come together, and you know, we couldn't we couldn't fit our entire technology stack into a single slide. Um, it's right. like it's like, you know, those pictures that you see with like, you know, thousand pictures in the back, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, so in that sense, there is, if you do not anchor with, anchor on a clear outcome and, and build those partnerships and build that credibility with the business and, and with your customers, there's no way that, you know, any data like can actually solve thing. Yeah, the, the, the reason that that was, uh, it was, Interesting to me is that uh, I was just on a call yesterday with Forrester and somebody asked Forrester, the, I forget his name, the vice president of analytics at Forrester, um, you know, is a data lake a prerequisite for machine learning? And his answer on that call was also no. And it was just interesting to hear you echo that same sentiment, you know, without the explicit, you know, question. So uh, the, uh, interesting to hear that from uh, multiple leaders in the space for sure. Yeah. Um, what part of data science and analytics do you think is the most undervalued to businesses? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm obviously, you know, not an expert, but I think, you know, just from, it's obviously a level of maturity, right? So there are companies that are obviously the deep end of deep learning and those kind of things and using fancy CNNs and those kind of things. Um, for us, for us, you know, even just getting simple machine learning, um, you know, things in place, um, just being able to articulate, uh, we built a, yeah. so today, for example, if you were to see business leaders, um, 
obviously I'm digressing a little bit from your question, but I'll bring it back. If you were to see a, somebody asked a question, like let us say a CEO of a company asked a question, there is no way that somebody opens up a tool and says, here is your answer, right? So then they mm-hmm. go off, like they run like multiple reports, somebody brings Excel extracts, somebody takes some screenshots, then they put all of these things together, put it into an Excel, convert it into a PowerPoint, go back a week later or two weeks later, present get more questions, come back and do this, right? So if, if you're in that kind of an environment, for us to even just say, where, okay, I want to just see where, where are all our systems? You know, how are they being used? What can we do to make sure that our customers get better entitlement of entitlement out of our products and you know and services we are providing? That question is, uh, I can guarantee you, is like a six to a year out project, right? From from a IT standpoint, mm-hmm. and is that is terrible, right? Um, so in that sense, how can how can we look at AI in a way that actually solves some of those things? You know, what does it take for us to answer more granular things without having to digitize everything, automate everything, collect a tremendous amount of data um, and bring it all together to answer a simple question? Because the next question, you cannot be going through that same process again and again, which is what we were doing. And in that sense, a data lake really will help um, that whole paradigm shift of schema on write to schema on read. Mm-hmm. So in in the typical BI world, we always said, okay, you want a report. Okay, what? how many attributes do you need? You know, what kind of columns, all of that. But today, we are not worried about, about that, right? So we're bringing tremendous amount of data in, and then we are solving problem and creating schemas on the fly, which is that whole concept of schema on read. Um, I hope I'm answering your question. In, in that sense, where AI needs to go is, you don't have to be super you know, high-end um, on the deep learning side of the, uh, there are so many things that can be done through simple you know, supervised learning, simple regression models that mm-hmm. can provide whether you will be successful or not, whether this customer will buy or not, whether this product is valuable or not, um, you know, those kind of things. And then put a view of customer's view on top of your outcomes than just your view of how do you grow and, and drive cost out. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. And what's interesting, um, you know, to, to ask a follow-up question here is you, you kind of were, hinting at them, but what do you think has the most type in like analytics and data science right now? Because you're talking about some of the simple things that deliver business value, <laughs> but what, what has the most type that everybody thinks they need and is really way far out there for, for the immediate business impact? Yeah, I would say the, the robotics piece is, is probably the next, next big thing. It is where, where I am at. Um, which is, you know, if you were to think about just the business view of this, one is one is being democratization of data. Second is democratization of insights, which is, you know, a lot of people, at least, you know, I have been talking about it from an ambient experience kind of a thing, right? Which Facebooks, you know, um, your iPhones and smartphones and those kind of things are being able to get there, which is, you know, being able to provide you insights without you really 
logging into multiple places, right? Where the insights and data is ambient, right? So it's available right. wherever for thing. And then the third big piece of it is, you know, the whole robotics and RPA side of the AI, which I do believe is undervalued or is is not hitting the true potential, which is, you know, where things will make decisions for you, you know, self-correcting machines um, or where things um, prevent you from making mistakes, you know, especially during surgeries and, you know, those kind of things. So that's an area that I, I do believe that it is, I know, needs a lot of maturity and a lot of, you know, it's a lot of potential. To totally agree. Now that'll be an, an exciting <laughs> future at the same time with some of those technology and technologies coming to fruition. So uh, that'll yeah. be amazing to see. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we talk about a lot of these things, but it is also scary, right? So yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Autonomous cars. You know, if somebody comes right in front of it, should the car stop on its own and injure the, you know, people inside the car, or should it go and run into that other person, or should it, you know, swerve and hit a wall? Those kind of, you know, ethical questions and those kind of things are going to be super important as we as we get into that whole robotics and, you know, aspect of it, but it'll be, it'll be a great thing to see what happens. It will be, it'll be, you know, all the people who were told not to study philosophy in, in college and are now philosophy professors will suddenly get a big pay grade boost in the near future here, talking about philosophical and ethical, ethical questions when it comes to those scenarios that you just laid out. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting. And lawyers, will be involved heavily deciding this so um yeah but, but uh, Aaron, Aaron's given some career advice here I think yeah <laughs> I'm giving no career advice but, yeah uh, 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 mathematicians are in, in big demand and suddenly you know you'll see probably liberal arts philosophy um anyway yeah right and uh well, to end more on a, on a fun note, you know, we kind of like to, to ask our guests, you know, if data science was a superhero, which superhero would they be and why? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. You know. I just feel like there have been some real good superheroes that, um, that I actually got, get inspired with. Um, you guys know the, I wouldn't call Iron Man is superhero, but the Jarvis as a superhero, right? Ah, oh yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so in my one of my product roadmaps, you know, for next few years, I had Jarvis in my roadmap, and nobody caught it. And I, you know, one of the leaders, they, you know, he did, and he was laughing out loud. Uh, but I do believe that Jarvis is probably a, a superhero where you can ask a lot of these questions and. And you know, it provides you answers on the fly. That's that's an excellent answer. That is. We we just can't let them become Ultron. That's that's the only <laughs> the only thing here. Right. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Well, no, that that's a great answer. And uh, Anurag, thank you again so much for joining Tony and I on uh, the podcast. We really appreciate it. Um, before we close here, any final questions or comments you want to make for for us? And also, if you want to share um, how our guests can follow you on 
LinkedIn or Twitter, feel, uh, feel free to plug your, uh, uh, contact information there too. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can contact me on LinkedIn, um, Anurag Valetti. So if you're at Anurag Valetti to linkedin.com slash IN slash A-N-U-R-A-G-V-O-L-E-T-I. Um, yeah, love to learn and, you know, provide my insights, but I sincerely appreciate you, your time, Tony's time and making this conversation fun for me as well. Yeah, it's been fun. And, uh, I'll link, um, in, in the notes, uh, to your LinkedIn and so that people can easily connect with you, but thank you again, Anurag and, um, looking forward to catching up with you in the future as well. Take care, everyone. Thanks so much. Thanks, Anurag. Yep. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Analytics Anecdotes podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to hear more from Exilian Partners, you can subscribe to our podcast with your favorite podcast application, follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn, or reach out to us directly at www.excelian.io. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time.